welcome to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Bible, would you grab it and turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 13. We're going to continue this series, The Jesus Life, together. And really what this is about, we are, we are dreaming of what would it look like for a group of people to not just believe in Jesus, but to actually become passionate followers of Jesus. What would it look like for a group of people in Orlando today to, to say, you know what, we, we don't want to just uh, believe in Jesus, although that is important, but we actually want to orient our lives around living the life that he came to give us. Not just uh, lip service, but we want it to be life service. We want our lives to, to look like Jesus. And so we spent the fall talking about the practices of discipleship. What does it actually mean? What are the things that we can do to be followers of Jesus, to experience the life of Jesus. Not that those things are legalistic requirements. Uh, Jesus didn't come to give the law. He came to fulfill it, but he came to give life. And so those are things that are just disciplines, practices that will help us to flourish in the life that God has already given to us. And, And that's really what we're dreaming is what would a Jesus movement look like in our community? What would, what would it look like for a group of people to love each other the way that Jesus loved, to speak truth even at times when it may be uncomfortable, but we know that it is true, to stand for something beyond just our own comfort, our own ease, our own convenience, but to actually live what Jesus has called us to live? How many of you know that the world won't be changed by people that just say something and do something differently? Amen? And so uh, we are wanting to live the Jesus life together. And I want to speak to you today. uh, If you're taking notes, you can title this message, The Mark of the Movement. The Mark of the Movement. And I want to read to you some words from Jesus out of John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. John 13, 34. And it says this. It says, a a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is spirit and it is life. Thank you that it is more than just ink on the page, but God, I pray now that you would come, Holy Spirit, cause us to resonate with your life, to resonate with your truth, to resonate with your word. Help me, Holy Spirit. You know I need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a a lot of conversation today uh, around the thought of branding and marketing, right? How many of you here work in some way in branding, marketing, Lots of, lots of talented people, many people work in that place. There's a, a lot of conversation. It's a, it's a really important thing, like, like branding is a big deal, right? Uh, it's always been a big deal, but especially today in our uh, visual generation, uh, it, it is probably more important than ever. It's been said that, that people shop with their eyes, right? You, you buy with your, your eyes, and so what we see uh, matters, and uh, 
Companies spend huge amounts of money developing their brand identity. Uh, uh, The cornerstone, really, of their brand uh, is a, a mark or a logo, right? That logo communicates in just a visual picture the idea or the hope of a good logo or a good mark is that in one little image that can both be as small as a postage stamp or as large as a billboard, but in that one image that it communicates the, the vision, the ethos, the values, the purpose of the company, that when you see that, that it is communicating something more than, than just that image. And uh, people will pay huge amounts of money, right? I think the, the BP logo is one of the most expensive British Petroleum logo. Who's seen that little, it's like a, a green and yellow like starburst flower? $211 million for that, and uh, that shows the importance of it, right? And, uh, but there's a huge value on that, and, um, and, and we know that there's brands that we love. Uh, there's brands, who, who here will be honest, and if you're at the store and you see like soap, and then you see soap with a cool logo, who goes for the soap with the cool logo? Come on, most of us probably do, and uh, there's some stuff that I buy, I'm just like, I just liked the design. I don't know why, but I liked it. And uh, because it, it matters what we see. And, and Jesus here is, uh, as he is starting this movement that really is the greatest movement that has ever, to, to, to this day still, it's been the greatest movement that has ever impacted the earth, the Jesus movement. He came preaching and, and sharing about the kingdom of God, which is really this vision for life the way that God intended it. And when he came preaching, he said this, repent or change your thinking because the kingdom of God is at hand. The the product that he was sharing was this life in the kingdom. And, and forgive me for using those kind of parallel terms because it wasn't about a business at all. It was about a whole new way of life, experiencing the life of the kingdom. And he said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church or this community of people that he took and he he brought together from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, he brought them together and built them together to be the church. And, And the church is that people that are intended to be the community of God that represent the life of God on the earth. And he said right here, he said, people will know you, they will know that you're my disciple by the love you have for one another. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was branding his church. The word brand actually comes from, the the origin of that word is like a, a cattle farmer or a cowboy would brand his cattle. It would bear his mark on the cattle. And uh, we don't use that in the same way so much. But that's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, here's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. You want to know what it looks like to, to be my people, to live the life that I am giving you. Here is the brand. Here is the mark. It is that you will love each other. Now, how many of you know that when there is a brand, there is always the tendency to get off brand? Who knows what I'm talking about? There there is a tendency to to have a brand, to have a purpose, but there is a danger in getting off brand. And over history, we can all 
point to moments where the church has gotten off brand. We've gotten off of what Jesus has come to do. Really, that's what religion does. Religion is, is just getting off brand and, and begins to focus on all of the external things rather than a condition of the heart that is demonstrated in a lifestyle. And so there is, there's the danger of brand, of getting off brand or, or, or brand confusion. And Jesus actually said this. He said that there will be a day that people will stand before him and they'll say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We, we healed the sick in your name. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because just because, uh, he's saying that just because you take his name doesn't mean that you are authentically a follower of Jesus. You know, some people look around the world today and say, you know, there's some terrible things that have happened in the name of Jesus. And I would say, you're right, there is. But how many of you know, just because uh, somebody uses the name Justin, that doesn't mean it represents me. Right? Just because something is a copy of 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 the original doesn't mean that it is representing the original. And Jesus is declaring what his brand is. But here's the danger that I believe that we, we can fall into today. For most of us, it is not, it's not getting off brand or brand confusion in that we, we fall into religion. I believe for most of us, the danger is that we can lose our distinction. We can lose our distinction. Jesus said this, by this all men will know or all people will know that you are my disciples. In other words, Jesus wants people to know when we are following him. And the danger is that we do the opposite, right? Uh, for, for many followers of Jesus today, if they're honest, one of their greatest objectives is to not appear to be a follower of Jesus, Right? Like, I just want to be relevant. Anybody heard that before? I'm just trying to be relevant. Now, I'm, all, I'm down with, with relevance, you know, if it, whatever that means. <laughs> but how many of you know, if you were starting a business and you were like, the goal of our product is to be like every other product out there, how many of you know you wouldn't have a business for very long? Right? And, and, and that is the danger that we can often fall into as followers of Jesus is that we, we make a God out of relevance. We just want to be like everybody else. And Jesus said it this way, you are the, a, a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how shall people taste godliness? In other words, don't let the brand, don't lose the distinctiveness of the brand, the mark of love. And, and I believe the same thing is true for us today, that, that God is wanting us to be people that are known by our love for one another. The church has never been better, and it is never better than when it is radically loving each other. In fact, you see that throughout the story of the first followers of Jesus, followers of the way, throughout the time they were following Jesus, uh, they, they were always bickering back and forth with each other, right? Uh, they were fighting over things like uh, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Uh, they were fighting over who would sit on the right hand or the, you know, of, of Jesus in heaven, right? That's like calling eternal shotgun. Shotgun, I got it. I'm, I'm in the front seat for eternity, 
And they were always fighting over these little things, but, but something amazing happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them that it totally transformed them from being loveless competitors going after one another to suddenly becoming passionate lovers of one another. In fact, I love this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out on the church. It's like the beginning of the church, the grand opening, the launch of the church. And, and I love what it says in verse 42. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying goodwill, the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that. I love that. If church is just about a Sunday morning activity where we get together, sing some nice songs, hear a little nice message, and get on our merry way, I have to admit to you, I'm not that interested in that. But if what we are talking about is experiencing the life that Jesus came to offer and then living it out like this, I'm in. Like, I will give my life to this right here. What a beautiful demonstration of togetherness, of community. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're opening up. They're caring for one another. If one person has a need, somebody's going like, hey, I've got, I've got an extra car. You can have it. You're sick. Hey, we'll, we'll be there with some food. We'll be there with a casserole. How many of you know a casserole always? That's just comfort food right there, casserole. That's like the love of God in a, in a dish. But they're just caring for one another. This was the way that the early church grew, was through their love for one another. History records the, the account of a, a man named Tertullian who was a, actually an atheist. He was not a follower of the way. But God did something in his life through seeing the followers of Jesus that he, he was so attracted to that that he actually became a follower of Jesus. And he says this, this was in the first hundred years of the church. Here was the, the, the reputation. Here's the buzz around town about the church. He says this, look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. There's a lot of things that they could say about one church, but I would say this, that nothing would be greater than that statement right there. My, my hope and my prayer is that people would say, one church, they, they've got great worship, they'll, they'll, you know, they will encourage you, they, they've got great coffee, but let me just tell you, above and beyond any of that, my prayer is that people would say one church is the most loving church in town. And you say, well, that sounds kind of competitive. Well, the Bible actually says outdo one another in showing love. How many of you think if there was a competition, it should be who will love other people better? 
And so that was what the early church was. I love what Tim Keller says. He talks about the early church, and he says that the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. They, they opened their beds to everyone, and they opened their wallets to no one. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. How many of you know that's a different way of life in the first century as it is in 2019? That's a different way to live. That, that became attractive to people around them. I like what Rodney Stark says. He's a, this is a little bit of a history lesson, but he was a, he's a sociologist that has written on the history of the church and how the church exploded. And he, he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity, the subtitle. Are you ready for the subtitle? How the Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the Western World in a Few Centuries. That's a book. That's not a subtitle. That's a book, okay? But, but here's, here's what he said. Now, he's, he's not even a follower of Jesus. He's just a sociologist observing how this movement that has reshaped the, the face of humanity, how it took off. And here's the things that he said, five things. The first thing he said about the followers of the way is that while others fled the cities, Christians stayed in urban areas during the plague, ministering and caring for the sick. In other words, they weren't after just their own comfort and their own convenience. They stayed in the centers while everybody else fled for, uh, for the country. The second thing, Christians did not practice infanticide or abortion resulting in higher population growth rates. In other words, they just had babies, right? Change, have, have babies, change the world, okay? Number three, women were valued and allowed to participate in worship, resulting in a high rate of female conversions. Totally countercultural at this time that, that made women a possession of, uh, of men. And the gospel came along and it totally exploded that whole cultural paradigm. And it said that, that God has made men and women both distinct in the image of God as image bearers. And although they are distinct, they are equal. And so women were flocking to this movement because it gave them value. It gave them dignity. Number four, the gospel message of a loving sacrifice caused many Christians to stay and care for the sick during two epidemics resulting in lower death rates and greater attraction to non-believers. So it's like, okay, every, all of these, the pagans are dying, the Christians are living, I think I'll become a Christian, right? Just super practical. That, uh, and, and I believe this, that when you follow Jesus, life is better. It, just, it, it is better. It doesn't mean that it's free from challenges, but it is better. And it, it says this in number five, it says, Christians did not fight against their captors, but rather accepted martyrdom, adding credibility to their witness. So even when they were captured and faced the penalty of death, they were forced to recant their commitment to Christ, and they just said, no, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. How many of you know that when people would rather die than, than recant on their commitment, that makes a statement to the world around you? 
when people say, I love Jesus even unto death, that, that Jesus is better than life. I would rather die and have Jesus than, than live and live apart from him. How many of you know people go, there's something to that Jesus message? And so this was the way. Basically, simply put, the early followers of Jesus changed the world simply through outloving the world. They just outloved the world. They took over through outloving the world, ultimately to the point that the Roman Empire said, if we can't beat them, join them. And they adopted the, 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 the way, really, as the official religion of the Roman Empire, and then things went downhill from there. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand, is that the church and followers of Jesus Christ, we are at our best when we are loving one another. There is, when we love each other the way that Jesus loved us, there is no comparison to the message of Jesus Christ and to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe today that in the, in the day and age where it is image-driven and people, uh, people are looking to see something that is genuine, I believe that we need to not water down the mark we don't need to rebrand. We don't need to come up with something new. We need to, to, to refocus on what is true. That Jesus has called us. He said, by this all people will know that you're my disciple if you love each other. How many of you know that is relevant today? There's nothing more relevant than love. There's nothing more relevant than love. And so I want to give to you Three things that I believe we need to do if we are going to be a movement that carries the mark of Jesus. If we are going to love one another the way that Jesus loved, the first thing I want you to know is that, that love begins at home. Love begins at home. Notice that Jesus said, as I have loved you, love one another. One another. Notice he didn't say, love humanity, although we should love humanity, he said, I want you to love one another. Who is one another? Everybody just look around this morning. The person that you are sitting by, that's one another. The person on the other side of the room, that is one another. And here's the danger is that we can love the idea of love and not actually love somebody. It's easy sometimes to love the world because the world's never going to need me to help them move. You know what I'm saying? The world is, is never going to need me to watch their kids. Right? Real talk. Loving the world is not that hard. It's loving you and me and the people around us. That is where the rubber meets the road. We can love the idea of love, but the real issue is do we love one another? Love begins at home. Love begins right here. We can fantasize and romanticize about the concept of love, but at the end of the day, love has to be expressed towards a, a person or a group of people. It has to be expressed towards one another. The Bible is full of these one another verses. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. All of these things. Encourage one another. I love what 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, 
He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? John doesn't pull any punches. He just goes straight after it. He is just being honest. He's like, you can say all this spiritual stuff. You can put Z88.3 bumper stickers on your car. You can even wear a Jesus Life Together t-shirt because they are a good price. (laughs) But if you do all of those things and you do not love one another, he says, you're a liar. Not my words, his words. That we are lying. If we say we love God, but we don't love one another, John says, the Bible says, we are lying. So the measurement of whether or not we love God is not, is, it's not, let me be honest, it's not how many hours we spend in prayer on our own, although that is important, and if we love God, we will do it. It is not how high we lift our hands in worship, although that is biblical, and if we love God, that's an expression of that love. But John says here that the way that we demonstrate that we love God is through loving each other. Not just the world out there, but one another. Now, on a given Sunday here at One Church Park District, we may have 120 adults, 300 kids. (laughs) And that number is growing, praise God. Both of those numbers are growing. But, But let me just get real specific. The measurement, John is saying, the measurable, the KPI, key performance indicator, who's tracking KPIs or something, measurements this year, anybody? Come on. John says the KPI or the measurement of your love is not how high you lift your hands, it's not how loud you sing in worship, it is how do you love the people in this room, in this room. Not just people out there. We're called to love everybody out there, but how many of you know you cannot export something you don't have at home? You cannot, we cannot love the world if we do not love each other. And we can love the idea of love, but our commitment to love is only as good as our commitment to loving one another. Jesus says, love one another. It's been said that love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? Who's heard that before? How many of you know that in our busy culture that we have no more valuable asset than our time, right? There's nothing that is more valuable than our time. Some of you are like, I know, hurry up, okay? It's like, I've been telling you that. I've been trying to tell you, Justin. But let let me just get real practical. I believe one of the greatest ways that we can express love to each other is through giving time to one another. That means on Sundays that that even what you're doing now is an expression of not just loving God, but you're loving one another. The Bible says that we encourage one another's faith, that when we come together, we're stirring one another up. Have you ever walked into church and Man, you're kind of having a rough day, and then somebody greets you at the door, and they, they hug you, and they express love to you, and then maybe somebody else, you know, just says something to encourage you. That's an expression of love, but just spending time together. That's why we, we're so uh, committed to connect groups that, that really even just on Sundays is not the full expression 
Now, I know we live in a busy culture. I know there's a lot of demands on our time. But, but I believe that, that one of the greatest ways that we demonstrate love for God through love to one another is through prioritizing time together. Prioritizing, just being together. How many of you know it's easy for me to say that I love my wife, but my calendar, if it says something different, talk is cheap. All the wives said, preach, preacher, right? Come on. And so we need to give time. So that brings me to the second thing, that not only does love begin at home, the second thing I want you to see is that love requires action. Love requires action. He says, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Did he just send good vibes our way? No, he came to us. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Look at what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love. He doesn't just speak it, he showed it. The Bible says that that God is love and that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so when we see Jesus, when we read the scripture and we we get that understanding of who Jesus is, we we are visualizing the embodiment of love. The greatest act of love that has ever been was when Jesus Christ hung on a cross, not because he had to, but because he loved you. He allowed himself to be beaten, to be flogged, to be nailed to a tree, not because it felt good. How many of of you know the cross did not give Jesus all the feels, right? Feelings are great, but love is not led by feelings. Love is led by a decision that then becomes demonstrated. He made a decision when he fell to the ground under the the, the weight of what was ahead of him as he was preparing to go to the cross. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was he doing? He was submitting to the loving will of the Father that ultimately, that would not feel good in the moment, but would ultimately produce the greatest life that could ever be imagined. The life for every single one of us. The Bible says this, that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It did not feel good in the moment. There was no warm fuzzies as he went to the cross. But there was joy that was set before him. One of the greatest things that we need to understand about love and loving well the way that Jesus loves us is that we are not to be led by our feelings. Feelings are great, but feelings follow action. How many of you know you can watch a romance movie and you can get all the feels, but how many of you know that doesn't actually mean you've loved at all, right? Some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. That was my Friday night. (laughs) Why? Because it has to be demonstrated. It's not just the feeling. And we 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 live in a culture that puts me at the center of the universe and makes my feelings the only objective 
path to follow. That if it doesn't feel good, then it is not good. And ultimately, I'll just tell you, that's a terrible way to live your life. It's a terrible way to live out of just how you feel. Now, is there feelings? Does God give us feelings? Absolutely. But feelings follow when we make the decision and then in obedience, we demonstrate that decision. The feelings will follow. I'll tell you the same thing is true in marriage. I remember the first time I told Jennifer, I love you. It was on my grandparents' couch. Y'all don't get a visual. They were in the other room. But there was, it was, it was, there was all the feels in, in a pure Jesus way, okay? It felt so good. There was, I mean, this romance. How many of you remember that moment? You've fallen in love. You're like, fireworks. This is amazing. Don't leave me up here looking like a rascal here, folks. I know you guys. Come on. It's amazing. But let me tell you, that, that moment was a moment. Now, I, the, the real measurement of my love is not in saying, baby, I love you. Moment is right. It feels so good. The real expression of my love is when I come home and I'm tired and she's been with the kids all day and she needs somebody to take the kids and she needs somebody to help with dinner and she needs somebody to rub her feet. All the girls said, amen. amen. That's the demonstration. That's the demonstration. I'm working on having a, a better record with it too, so hold me accountable. But John says this in 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love is not just saying. It's not just giving lip service. It's about demonstrating it. The church is at its best, not when we only speak the gospel. We are called to speak it, but when we also demonstrate it. When we demonstrate, this is what the life of God looks like. I love the story. I've shared this with you guys before. During World War II, there was a man named Frederick von Bodelschwing. Did I say that okay, Mark? German Bodelschwing? It's just fun to say. Isn't that a fun name to say? Frederick von Bodelschwing. And uh, he was, he was a, a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus. Then he, he noticed in his culture that there was many people that weren't being cared for, specifically people that were epileptics. And so he formed this little community, this little house, and this little, uh, this little place where people who were epileptic could come and they could be cared for. That They would be taken care of spiritually. He was a pastor. He would care for their needs spiritually, but he would also care for their their needs uh, physically, too. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ended up being a martyr under uh, Hitler in Nazi Germany, visited that place one time, and here's what he said about it. He said that it was the antithesis of the Nazi worldview. That exalted power and strength, it was the gospel made visible, a fairy tale landscape of grace where the weak and helpless were cared for in a palpably Christian atmosphere. I love that line, a fairy tale landscape of grace. A fairy tale landscape of grace. Almost something that, that sounds like it couldn't exist on the earth and certainly not in the midst of all hell breaking loose at that time in Germany. But as he loved people and cared for them and not just said it, but he actually demonstrated it practically to them 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that was a, a fairy tale landscape of grace. What a beautiful picture of what it is when people love well. Pastor Bodelschwing said this when he was threatened with being arrested and put into a concentration camp. He said, You can put me into a concentration camp if you want, that is your affair. But as long as I am free, you do not touch one of my patients. I cannot change to fit the times or the wishes of the Fuhrer. I stand under orders from our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know, it would, if there was ever a time that it would, be easier, it would be easy to get off brand? It would be easy. In fact, many followers of Jesus, many people who called themselves followers of Jesus in that time decided they needed to get more modern. They needed to adapt to the culture that they were in. They needed to, to rebrand. And they, their thought was that under Nazism, that somehow there would be a resurgence of Christianity. Like I said before, just because something's done in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that it reflects Jesus. Jesus established his brand. This is how you know. If, if you're my followers, it's not whether you say my name. It is how do you love one another? What a beautiful picture of God's love demonstrated to people. Changes the world when people love like Jesus loved. The third thing I want you to see is not only does love begin at home, and not only does love have to be demonstrated, the third thing I want you to see is that love must be received. Love has to be received. Just like you cannot export something you don't have at home, you can't give something that you don't have. You can't give something away that you have not received. And, and, and Jesus said here, love one another as I have loved you. I spoke to you a few weeks ago about if this, then that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But the origin or the, the beginning of that starts with not us loving him, but him loving us. Jesus says this, you didn't love me first, I loved you. I loved you. The Father has loved you. And he's demonstrated his love for you. He didn't just speak it, he showed it. And it's interesting here in this passage that when Jesus says love one another, he actually uses a word that was almost unheard of in that culture. There was five words in that culture, or in the Greek culture that it, this is translated out of, there's five words that, that they used for love. There's eros, which is sexual love. There's phileo, which is uh, both a sandwich at McDonald's, phileo fish, but it's also, <laughs> it's also brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. I don't remember all of the five, but, but he actually uses a word for love that is not used anywhere outside of the Bible. Historians will say that this word that they use for love in all of the ancient literature, it is, this word is almost unseen any other place than in the Bible, and it is the word agape. Agape. And agape love is, is a beautiful kind of love. It's the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that loves someone not because of their goodness, not because of their beauty 
or their worth or their value intrinsic to themselves. Agape love is a love that is given to someone not because of their worth, but as an expression of the character of the giver of love. It is a love that is not based on our performance, not based on our, our, our identity, not based on our success or anything in ourselves. It's merely in the fact that God is so loving. He is, the, he, he is love personified. He is the or, originator of love. And what do you do when you are so loving that, that, that you are the fullness of love? You have to have an object to express that love towards God created mankind not because he needed us, but because he was so full of love in himself that he wanted to express love to you and I. It's that agape love. And Jesus says, agape one another. Agape one another. Not just phileo, not just brotherly love, not just friendship kind of love, but this unending unlimited, undeserving kind of love. Love one another, agape. As I have loved you. Here's the beautiful thing of the gospel. Here's the beautiful thing of the message of Jesus is that when we have received and recognized that we've been so loved by God, we can begin to love other people. When we recognize God has blessed me, not because of my performance, not because I'm killing it at work or anything else. He just blessed me because he's a blesser. It's just who he is. He's forgiven me, not because I'm deserving, but because he loved me so much that he put his son on the cross to bear the penalty. He took it on himself so that he could forgive you. How many of you know, when you know you and you know what you've done and you know that God who is perfect has forgiven you, how many of you know, like, I'm going to have some grace for some other people? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know me. God knows me. And God loves me and he forgives me. Who am I not to give love, not to give forgiveness, not to give acceptance to one another? When we receive the life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, we are receiving an endless supply of love. An endless supply of love. And so to love the way that Jesus loves, you cannot work it up in yourself. You can't just try harder. You have to receive the love of God into your life, that everlasting source of love. And I believe today that God wants to fill us afresh with his love. I believe that as we talk about the Jesus life together, that it's not just about having a a new theme, but it's experiencing a new filling of the love of God. I want to ask you if you would to stand to your feet. You have to leave.